we uh, we're going from like one interview to the next, but I think it's just you know when an opportunity comes up, we gotta take advantage of it. Just we keep meeting cool people. Nice. Yeah, I know it's the worst. <laughs> Ugh. <laughs> the things we do for our listeners. Yeah. Oh, man. yeah. Also, if I sound a little different today, it's because I'm coming off of a flu. So forgive me my congested sound. Um, all will be well next week when we're back. Um, but anyhow, Aaron, why don't you just give us a sort of Cliff's Notes version of who you are, what you do, and why you're so cool, and then uh, we'll, we'll get into it. Oh, man. Okay. Uh, I don't think I'm cool, but thank you. Oh, you are. Um, I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I have two kids, so I stay home with them. And before I had them, and in the beginning, I had a business making accessories for brides, and I ended up being picked up by Nordstrom and selling them there. And I got really crazy busy and I got really burned out. And I sold my business when my little one was like, I don't know, six months old. And I had this kind of creative void. So I picked up a camera. Right, right. And I started just taking tons of pictures all day long. I was home with, you know, two kids under two years old, nothing to fulfill that really creative passion. I loved my kids, but I needed that other piece. And so I picked up that camera and I just didn't stop shooting. And I started, um, you know, film's expensive and I got really impatient for the scans. So then I started using my iPhone and really treating it like a serious camera because it, it, you know, if you use it seriously, it can be. And I started really teaching myself to pay attention to composition and light, no matter which camera I had. Um, so I shot like crazy with my iPhone. I still do. I take too many pictures. It's a little bit crazy. No such thing. Uh, I have, I have <laughs> ben keeps getting me more. My husband keeps giving me more hard drives and things to store. I think I have like 60,000 at this point from the last, what, three, four years. So it's a little excessive. I think that's officially the photographer's favorite gift, though, isn't it? Just getting a yes. hard drive or an SD card or something like that. <laughs> yes. More storage. That's all we want. Yeah, you can never have enough, definitely. Yeah, and then maybe a storage room for my drives would be great. Um, but so I just, yeah, I just started shooting like crazy. Then I got um, the opportunity to do the shot on iPhone 6S campaign. I had five photos in that last year. And so I bought myself a camera, a Fujifilm camera. Um, I have the X-T1 and I've been shooting with that a lot. Um, and then our grandpa passed away this last fall and he had a Canon that I just recently brought myself to pick up. I couldn't for a while. And so I've been shooting with a Canon and I just, I guess the main thing you have to know about me is I love taking pictures and I really, I will shoot with any camera I possibly can get my hands on. Right. Yeah. And I think that's such a great way to look at things because at the end of the day, that's what matters is the image that you want to create. And really good photographers like yourself are able to create the images regardless of the equipment that they have with them and always get the best of that equipment, which is the whole point after all, I think. Uh, and I'm really impressed by the just the amazing pictures that you take with the with the iPhone. Thank you. And and just the control of the light that you have that's fantastic. And once you learn that, it really doesn't matter which camera you have. And so that's I think you have a very positive way of looking at things. And uh, we, we've said this before on the show, but perhaps we haven't stressed it enough. Uh, that's absolutely the way to to approach the whole photography thing, at least in my opinion. Yeah. Well, it's certainly a healthier outlook for one's wallet than uh, obsessing <laughs> over the aspects of it. Well, and you can. You can go down that rabbit hole, right, of like, oh, I, I need this new camera body and I need this amazing lens. And I don't know what you're talking about. No. <laughs> and I, I mean, I love shooting with new stuff too. I love playing around with it. And it's neat to see how you can push the limits of each thing. But I think... You know, you can get really wrapped up in relying on the gear and anytime, like if I'm shooting with my Fuji and I'm shooting wide open, if I realize that I'm really relying on that gear to get that really beautiful shallow depth of field, I'll make myself pick my iPhone back up right. because I don't like, I don't really like just feeling like I'm relying on my gear to make my image. I want my image to speak for itself, if that makes sense. 
What a great outlook. Yeah, I, I mean, I I confess to a similar problem um, on some previous episode. I don't remember what we were talking about, but I had the same thing where I feel like every photographer goes through a period after they get their first like really fast prime lens where mm-hmm. everything is just, you know, shallow depth of field, shallow mm-hmm. depth of field. It's just bokeh everywhere. But it does it does feel a little lazy after a while because you you realize that people are so easily wowed by that shallow depth of field that you can kind of lull yourself into a false sense of security where you're no longer looking for interesting compositions or meaningful storytelling in the images. And uh, yeah, it is it is important, I think, there to to either stop down or go back to some other thing or just, you know, force yourself to get out of that comfort zone because it is like it becomes very comfortable. It's easy to just snap a shot of basically anything, put it on Instagram and, every, you know, likes just explode. But it's, you know, is that good photography? Is that creatively satisfying? Maybe not so much. Yeah, I think, you know, it, it can be really beautiful. You know, if my oldest daughter has green eyes, I love getting that like really beautiful shot of her eye in focus and everything else not. But I, I think it, it, and it's funny too, I think a lot of people think that is what looks professional, like <laughs> with the new iPhone feature of the um, depth effect. That's the comment I see all the time. Oh, it looks professional. I'm like, but yep. yeah. what about it looks professional just because you're able to have that background blur? Because I find it far more interesting if there's an, a complete story going on and the background contributes to that, you know? Right. And if you blur that out, you don't get any of that. Well, I think what what's most admirable about the work that you've been doing with Portrait Mode is that you can kind of tell that you've gone back and forth in this way because you've come back to using shallow depth of field, but it's done with intention. It's done in a way that feels deliberate and is actually contributing to the image. It's not just a sort of effect that you're leaning on to bolster an otherwise flat image. It's it's something that's actually part of the way that that image is conveying its message. So that comes across and, you know, obviously uh, someone who's not a photographer will maybe not have the vocabulary to express what it is about an image that that appeals to them. And uh, I hear the same thing very often is, you know, something looks professional or looks unprofessional. And it, it's not necessarily, you know, when they say that, it doesn't mean to them what it means to us and vice versa. Right. So it's yeah. right. it can be interesting when you're taking that kind of feedback to unpack it and understand what it is about an image that's succeeding with someone or not, um, because that's what helps you actually grow as a photographer. Yeah, I suspect for most people, when they say professional, what they really mean, even if they may not know it, is expensive. Yeah. <laughs> they, yeah. they know yeah. they can take those pictures with their regular camera and they assume that the camera that is uh, needed to take that picture is very expensive and therefore it is a professional camera. And I think that's the the way that people look at it. I think you're exactly right. I think that's true. Yeah, and, and, and to an extent that's actually true. But of course, it's a lot more complicated than that. But it is true that fast primes tend to be expensive. Yeah. So if you crave that super shallow depth of field, it's going to cost you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what I like about the portrait mode on the on the iPhone, for example, is not only that it achieves a similar effect, but that it does it uh, in moderation. Mm-hmm. Like you get some amount of background blur, but you can only get so much. Yeah, you can't really push it that far. Yeah, you, it also keeps you in check, you know, because you cannot completely obliterate uh, everything away. So I think it's a very balanced approach, and uh, I'm liking it more and more. I didn't get the iPhone Seven. Uh, this oh, no. year. Have you played around with it at all? I have on the store and Good. with the friends. Yeah. And it's really addictive, but precisely because I don't trust myself around it, I, I <laughs> decided to wait <laughs> at least for a year. <laughs> and then and then we'll see what I do. It's really finicky though. I think the, um, the portrait mode, you have to really be careful with it to get a nice image. It's not great in low light and it it weirdly makes the in-focus subject really grainy if you're in low light, but then the back is really smooth. Right. And you have to be within this eight-foot distance. So it's definitely kind of touchy. You have to work at it to get... I mean, you can get a nice-looking image like outside, but you have to kind of work at it if you want to shoot anywhere that's not amazing outdoor light. Yeah, it's all about the light with these smaller sensors, you know, yeah. you, you need tons of it. And I, I believe the portrait lens in the iPhone 7 is actually, uh, it has a, a smaller aperture than the, the 
camera that used to be there before. Mm-hmm. So when you're going for a portrait picture, you actually, your low light capabilities are worse than when you're taking a landscape, for example. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that the the cool thing about portrait mode, though, is that it's going to... Um, it's going to bring that level of professional looking photos to more people. And it's going to introduce them to the idea that maybe it's not about the gear so much as about what you're doing with it. Because now, you know, like I've been using it um, quite a bit recently. And um, I remember the first few times I was showing pictures um, to to people, they'd be like, wait, what did you shoot that on? And I, I had literally just taken their photo and they were like, wait, how did, what did you, what did you do? How did that come out of the phone? Right. It's and amazing. It was like, yeah. They, they had this association with that look coming from a DSLR or something like that. And so right. I think it's going to be amazing to everybody who who gets an iPhone 7 and, or even, you know, one of the Android phones that has a similar technology. Um, it's going to be really cool and will encourage more people to to try to take more, I think, creative photos because it's no longer like it, it almost teaches you a little bit how to do um like how to formulate better compositions because of that limitation. Like you got to be within eight feet. You got to be, mm-hmm. you know, like it, it kind of forces you in a way to take better photographs, which is nice. And and I think that uh, Apple deserves a lot of kudos for, first of all, making it work because it is a, an incredible technology and the fact that it works in, in real time to preview it and everything like that. I love that feature. Um, but also yeah. the level of, yeah, but but also the level of restraint I appreciate because like Alvaro was just saying, it's not overdone. It's not like this this heavy overcooked effect. And I think they easily could have done that, but they opted for something that looks tasteful. It does. And I appreciate that because I think that it's, it, it, again, it's sort of encouraging people to go easy on the editing, to just sort of focus on what matters, um, but, but ultimately makes it very easy to get great looking photos, which is, you know, the core appeal of using an iPhone as a, as a serious photography tool. And I think, you know, if you look at the, I remember having a flip phone that could snap photos 10 years ago that that were ridiculous, grainy, blurry, nothing really to save. And you look at the progression and now you can get these photos where people do not believe you that you took it with your phone. Yeah. It's incredible. It really, it's an amazing, it's an amazing feature. And it, I think it will get a little easier to use as time goes on too. And they tweak it, but um, I'm having a lot of fun with it too. And we should just mention that you you recently published an article that um, just sort of goes over your tips for how to get great photos with uh, with the iPhone 7 Plus and, and yeah. portrait mode. And I think that that's well worth a read. We're going to link it in the show notes because you kind of walk people through, first of all, like you said, it's, it is kind of quirky. So you've got to be aware of, of how, what works and what doesn't and how to take advantage of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's also just a great set of, of techniques that apply to, um, almost anything really. I mean, it's, this is the thing you were talking about is portrait mode, but a lot of that applies to other stuff as well. Yeah. Um, right. And that was a very good read. I also may have noticed a certain mention of a book impending. I don't know if you're <laughs> able to talk about that, but we'd love to hear about it if you can. Yeah, I can. It's just, I'm just writing my own like ebook about, I'm walking through everything I've learned in the last three years of shooting heavily with my phone. I've done a couple talks at the flagship Apple store. I did one, a presentation in store a couple of years ago. And then last year I did a photo walk where I got to walk with a group of people and we had little assignments and then I walked them through an edit and people are constantly asking me, how do you get these photos with your phone? How do you edit these? Can you please just show me? Right. So I can't do that in person for everybody, even though I would really like to, because I genuinely love doing that. I think it's really fun. Right. Um, so I'm just trying to walk people through, you know, how to look at light and see it, activities and exercises you can do, like switching your phone to shoot just in black and white for a while. So you so you really look at that light and I just walk through, I think I have seven or eight chapters. I'm adding a chapter on portrait mode because now it needs to have it. Yeah. But yeah. I just, <laughs> I just really want people to feel like they can have those, what they might call professional or really beautiful photos with an iPhone. And it doesn't even have to be the newest model. One of my favorite shots ever was with the five. Right. So um, I just want everyone to feel like they have the power to have print-worthy, memorable images, you know, anytime. And especially, you know, parents. I feel like a lot of people really want pictures of their kids and they're always asking me about that. And I really just feel like everyone 
almost everyone has a smartphone. And I think they don't realize the tool that they have in their pockets. So, yeah, absolutely. I think that's going to be a fantastic resource for people looking to step up their. I hope so. Their, the quality of their images. Yeah, absolutely. I, ca I can't wait to get my hands on it personally. Oh, uh, I hope yeah. it's good. <laughs> <I'm> really, <laughs> I really well, want to share. So. Hopefully, I'm pretty be. sure it's going to be awesome it's because just looking at the the recent article that Marion's mentioned on portrait mode, just the images they were breathtaking. Oh, so, thank you. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the book is going to be great too. Thank you. I do want to talk a little bit more about the whole shot on iPhone campaign though, because that that is such an exciting opportunity, and that was I think. I'm thinking back now. I think that was my introduction to to your work and specifically to the iPhone part of it. So. Um, you know, it sounds like that's opened up a lot of opportunities, but um, sort of back to the beginning, how how did that happen for you? Like, what 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 was the uh, the process there? Did they uh, find you, or did you they reach did. out to them? Because no, it was super. It, I actually thought someone was trolling me because <laughs> 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 I like I get this message through my website and like those messages often get stuck in spam and I don't see them. And so I had this weird spammy message and it said, you know, I have a, a project I'd like to discuss with you, but I need you to sign this NDA before we can speak any further. And I'm like, okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and so I show my husband, Ben, and he, he recognized that it was media arts lab and he goes, sign it, sign it right now, sign it and send it back. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Um, and so they had found just, hashtagged images shot on iPhone 6s on my Instagram. Right. And then um, they would, I guess they were monitoring my account after that. So they would email me asking me about specific images. And with each image they wanted, you know, they had to thoroughly check it, make sure it was definitely iPhone. They wanted exactly the details on how I edited. They wanted a yep. whole questionnaire filled out about it, why I took it, what I was doing, where I was. Um, and I ended up having to fill that out. I don't, it felt like 30 times. Um, and then they selected the five that they did. And it was just kind of amazing and kind of unbelievable. And it didn't really feel real until I saw, you know, the billboards going up and, and I got some of the magazines and saw, you know, my children's faces on them wow and my my daughter my oldest daughter now thinks that's like a normal thing that all kids just <laughs> have like their turn on a billboard so she'll be like mom you need to take a picture of 80 my youngest because she needs to go on a billboard now and I'm just like, oh. i would be great with that but that's not really how it works <laughs> Well, that is so cool. It's really cute. What a crazy feeling that must be, though, to see your work up on buildings and things like that. There was one in, it was, I think it was Dallas or Houston. It was the side of a building. It was like, <laughs> wow. I think wow. I counted 15 stories. My friend saw it from a flight. Like she she was flying and she could see it. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. I can't believe it. And I wish I would have gotten to go see that one. Um, but, you know, I have tons of pictures and then Apple sent a book to all of us with pictures from the campaign and it was uh I don't think that I will ever have an experience like that again and and it was amazing and I'm okay with that because I just felt very lucky the whole time we'll never say never but yeah it, it must have been really fantastic Absolutely. Well, clearly they're yeah. keeping an eye on your work and uh, those portrait mode shots are outstanding. So I wouldn't be surprised if you have more billboards in your future. Oh, thank you. I'm always up for it. Well, yeah. <laughs> Isn't it funny that people say you can't print large, um, get large prints from iPhones and then we've got like entire buildings covered with <laughs> iPhone shots? Well, and you know, it's funny. People and I'm in some various professional photography groups and there's a really mixed there are mixed feelings on the iPhone. And I think it's because, you know, you do have people who just kind of take shots and, and they say, this is as good as, you know, a professional. And, and sometimes it is, but it just really depends on the photographer. It's not the gear, like we've talked about before, but there are some people who are really down on the iPhone capabilities. And there was a thread recently about, well, I mean, how can they even print these? They don't print. And so I posted a picture. Canvas HQ actually 
printed a gigantic canvas of one of my portrait mode shots and it's bigger than my daughter standing next to it. <laughs> and I took a picture of her standing next to the picture of her and I and I posted it and I was like, actually it prints decently well. <laughs> so no one no no one replied to that. <laughs> <laughs> but they print fine. Yeah, I think you shut down that conversation. Remind me to never pick up a fight with you online. <laughs> yeah, seriously. It's <laughs> <That was> cold. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just wanted to encourage, because some people were kind of saying, oh, they print okay, and people were kind of being mean. And I was like, no, they really do. You know, if you have a really great image taken with any camera, it will print great. And you know what? A crappy image taken with a great cram- camera is not going to print well either. So Right. And by the way, here's a little bomb for that burn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, man. No, I didn't mean to be mean. I just, I just wanted to show. Well, no, I mean you were you were being honest, but it, it pretty much finishes that conversation right up. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting though this uh, this kind of vulnerability that some photographers feel towards technology like the uh, portrait mode and things like that. We it came up in conversation um, on our last episode with um, Josh Haftel, and one of the things that we were talking about there is this idea of how the future of photography is increasingly going to be assisted by um, computational photography and and technology that kind of helps you in getting a better image. Things like the depth effect, things like maybe there's going to be uh, composition aids and things like that. So I just wonder what your feelings are about things like that, because, uh, you know, some people look at it as um, a threat to the, the, you know, old school craft of photography. But um, Josh kind of steered us towards a different outlook where it's all part of this broad democratization of photography and, and we should all embrace it because, you know, the industry will change whether we want it to or not. And we should just find creative ways to exploit the latest technologies. Yeah, I kind of feel like I have a couple of feelings on it. I don't I don't really ever feel threatened by the technology because I think, you know, if we're all getting better, it pushes us all to get even better. And I like that. And I also feel like I like that the power to create a beautiful image is accessible to more people. So I don't know. I, I think, you know, it's also different because I'm not – a person who is feeding my family on shooting weddings every weekend. So I can relax in that and not feel threatened by that. And I completely understand that, you know, if people do feel that way, but I just love photography. I love everything about it. I love, I love seeing people pick up cameras and I love seeing the confidence build in people who thought they couldn't take a great image. So I don't, I don't think it's a bad thing at all. I actually really like that, you know, it's just becoming a thing that more and more people can do and learn to do well. And I think that it does foster more creativity because I am always trying to push myself and try new things and get better and better. And I'm not going to be threatened if other people are also getting good at it. Like, I don't feel like there's a limit to the amount of, of, good yeah like the amount of what am I trying to say like the amount of ability like if you're good I can't be I don't believe that so I think that it's overall a positive thing right I think the whole evolution of the industry in recent years is just teaching us that we need to learn to adapt to change yeah because otherwise we're not going to get anywhere and photography is in in a big part it is a technology industry Uh, and so as technology evolves, the industry necessarily evolves with it. And we're seeing it in, in things like the computational photography, but we're also seeing it in things like uh, Unsplash and services and everything's changing massively. And I don't think there's there's a future in becoming uh, stuck in time. You know, that that's not an option. You need to learn to adapt or you're going to run out of business. It's just the way it is. And it doesn't have to be a bad thing. It just it should be a motivation to keep learning and keep adapting and keep becoming better. Because yeah. I don't think there's a single photographer out there who doesn't believe they can get better. So that's the whole that's the whole point. Yeah. I d- yeah. I don't know anyone who's like I know everything now. I'm done. I'll just take the same pictures. <laughs> like I always laugh because I I'll take an image and I'm like this is the best picture I've ever taken. And then a year later I'm like. Uh, yeah, it was okay. This is how I would have done it differently, <laughs> yeah. you know. And I think that that's how it should be forever. So, 
I'm with you. I think it's it's good overall. It's I don't see the negative. Yeah. Should we get into the weeds a little bit? I feel like we're. Oh man, I'm I'm scared about this episode because I I I can already see you two ganging up on me with your iPhone sevens and your Fuji cameras and. No no no. <laughs> oh. Okay, no, we're gonna behave. We're gonna behave. I I solemnly pledge. We won't gang up. I promise. All right. Um. Well, okay. So so in the weeds because you know we got a bunch of geeks listening to the show. We we are curious, of course, about um things like workflow. We're we're big on workflow talk because. I think it's just fascinating to hear how other photographers get from the vision in their brain to the final image. Um, and you are a very unique case in that you have basically, it sounds like an equal um, amount of love for the iPhone and your X-T1 as serious photographic tools. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I think the, the first question that comes to mind is when it comes to those two and, and a new shooting scenario, which one, like sort of uh, what makes you pick one over the other? in essence? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, well, I'm limited a little bit by the fact that my X-T1, I only have one lens for it. I have the 56, so it's like an 86 yeah. equivalent. Oh, man. Love that lens. Um, and so, you know, it, sometimes I'm limited solely by that because I'm pushing my back against the wall on the opposite side of the room and I still can't get everything yeah. I want in the frame. Right. Um, so I'll switch to my phone. But I mean, other times it's just kind of the look I'm going for or what I have with me. I don't often lug my Fujifilm with me, um, and I always have my phone. So if I'm out and about with my kids, I'll be shooting with that because it's the tool I have on hand. Um, But I find myself reaching for it a lot at home, too. And I think part of it is just the – I feel kind of like an excitement about – catching a really beautiful image on my phone. I feel like there's still a little bit of that feeling like I took this with a phone. Can you believe it? Yeah. Almost like you shouldn't be able to do it, but you did it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's kind of fun and I think it's kind of just a a challenge, especially I like shooting indoors. I live in the Pacific Northwest. It like rains all the time. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm inside a lot and I really like showing and proving that you can get really um, beautiful indoor images with the phone too. So Um, And sometimes it's just a mood if, you know, like I said before, if I feel like I'm relying heavily on one, I'll switch to the other and I'll be kind of thinking about that for like a few days or a week and I'll reach for that tool specifically and remind myself that I'm trying to push myself out of the comfort zone I was starting to kind of find myself in. And where does the Canon camera fit into the into the system? So the Canon is newer um, and it's a 5D Mark II, so it's the low light capabilities are not the same as the newest right. version. And my, my X-T1 does a better job with that. Um, but it, it's more of a sentimental thing. My, you know, our, it was my husband's grandpa, but he was, he told me, you know, I don't do this in-law stuff. You're my granddaughter. And he was my biggest photography right. fan. He was making a book of all of the pictures that people had taken of my billboards for me when he passed away and it was on his desk. So we had this really special connection. Um, and I couldn't bring myself to pick this camera up forever. We had it. His, his wife, grandma gave it to us because we're the photographers in the family. Ben likes to take photos too. And I couldn't do it. And then starting like a week ago, um, I just picked it up and started shooting with it. And I like it. I I find it similar to, more similar to my X-T1, obviously, right. to use um, the, the uh, bo- bokeh. I say bokeh, but I think it's wrong. <laughs> it's a little bit, it's stronger. We'll, ne- we'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> Just pretend I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's a little bit stronger. Um, and I also have different lenses. He had a lot of lenses for this camera. So um, I've been using it inside because it. I have a 50 and I have a right. 35. So... Um, I've been just kind of playing around with it, but, and I love it, but I think I love my X-T1 a little more. It's just kind of more me. I think I love this Canon because of who it belonged to more than anything else. Um, I haven't shot with the recent version of it though, and I've heard it's incredible. So if I ever do, I could probably revise that statement, um, but I have a lot of cameras right now, so I'm not really going to go out and buy buy another one. That, that's yeah. a common problem. 
Yeah. Oh, I was gonna say when I go do a shoot, it's like, do I bring all? Do I bring one? <laughs> I feel very like overwhelmed. So sometimes I'll just bring one because then it's just my only option. Yeah. Otherwise, you end up with a huge bag. Yeah. To me, sometimes it's all about the mood I'm I'm in, in the, at the moment. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the first camera, the first real camera that I picked up uh, belonged to my dad, uh, and it's an old Canon film Aww. camera. Uh, I've written about it on on my site too. It's an A1 program, and it's just fully manual, very old, but I love it. I love it. And today I still pick it up regularly and shoot with it. And it's not because the pictures that I can take with it are better or something like that. It's because I just love the process and and I like to feel connected to the camera because it used to belong to my dad. Yeah. So, yeah, there's definitely something going on there. And as for too many cameras... I I don't subscribe to that theory. I think you can never have too many. <laughs> Blasphemy. <laughs> I I you'll just look really crazy with them all strung across you. So well, you probably shooting. wouldn't want to use them all at once, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. You could try though. You know, you could try. Yeah. <laughs> no, but you and I both love film. I remember connecting on that. There's something special about film. It just has a different life. And I add grain back into my images a lot, but it's not quite, the, it's close, but it's just not yeah. quite the same. And meanwhile, so. I don't shoot film, the outliner. <laughs> <laughs> See, so you're not, Alvaro, you're not totally out of the, yeah, there you go. the club. <laughs> well, let's talk about shooting film digitally, which is what most people do today, even if they don't realize it. Because all of these filter apps and editing apps, they're all basically trying to get the look of film uh, using modern digital cameras mm-hmm. and, or, and even phones, of mm-hmm. course. So I know, I know for a fact that you really like that look and that you use it to, to create many of your images. And there's just something very yes. special about that, uh, that, that contrasty look, the colors. I just love it. And I think it resonates with many people, which is why it has become so popular. Yeah, I'm in a group called Looks Like Film, actually. It's that popular. People are like, they want that look, even if they don't really use film. Yeah, so why don't you walk us through your editing process and what tools you use to create uh, some of those looks uh, today using modern digital tools and not just a film camera? Okay, so I do a couple things. It just depends on if I'm going to edit with my phone or my or Lightroom. I used to only edit on my phone. Even images I had taken with my X-T1, I would wirelessly you know, move them to my phone and I would edit only on that. Um, and I, I think, honestly, it was just that it was easy right. and I was lazy and I was somehow <laughs> intimidated by learning Lightroom, which Lightroom is great. So um, now I find myself often transferring my iPhone images. I'll airdrop them to my Mac and I will edit those in Lightroom. Um, but in Lightroom, I usually do the same things. I have a few presets I love that are created to look like film and I'll heavily tweak them. I have a few that I've made and I kind of edit the same way when I use Lightroom. I have like a color version I love. I have a black and white that I love and I kind of stick to those um, with slight variations. And I definitely add grain in, except for on most iPhone photos, I won't unless I feel like it's adding to it in a way that I really want. I, I don't know, it just... Because especially if they're inside already, they're already a little bit grainy and I don't feel like I need to add anymore. Um, And then when I edit on my phone, I have a few apps I really love. Um, And one of them is newer and it's called Filmborn and it was created by Kirk Mastin who has the, you know, Mastin Labs and he is a huge film lover and wants everyone to learn to love to shoot film. He created this app because he wants people to use the app and get interested in shooting film. Right. Um, He provides presets his Mastin presets. I don't have any of them because they're a little bit more bright and airy and I'm kind of a more moody editor, but they're beautiful. The work I've seen done with them, they're beautiful. Um, But Filmborn is really great. It has a few film simulations, but the thing I love the most about it is it has um, a custom curves add-on. And I always adjust the curves in every image. So it's nice to have that level of precision with my phone yeah i can edit really really well with that app and it's also kind of beautifully simple too because it only gives you i think it has nine different film 
simulations to start with, and then you can make your adjustments. But um, I don't know. I just love the way that the images I edit with it look, and it's got some nice control. Yeah, and I also find that their filters are very um, gentle. I don't even know what the yeah. I, I guess gentle is the word. It's just like compared to some of the others, um, they they're nicer on skin tones, and mm-hmm. it feels less like an effect and more like a more like just a simple toning of the image. So I've I've come to switch a lot of my iPhone editing to Filmborn as well lately, simply because. You know, even though, yes, it's more limited in the number of, of filters and things like that, it has the tools that I want, and it just kind of gets me to where I want my photos to be faster, which is always a good thing. Well, and I think, like, with, like, Visco Cam, that one's a great one, but it, it I feel like the options are really harsh. Like anytime I select one of those filters, I'm backing it off about halfway. Yeah. And so even though there are a lot of options, I don't use very many of them when I use that. And I would use all of the ones in Filmborn. So, you know, even though there are fewer, I think they're more useful. I also really love um, RNI Films. It's a really nice images is the company. Yeah. They have a great um, kind of set of film presets. And then they have RNI Flashback. Have you guys used that before? Oh, Flashback is so much fun. It's so fun. <laughs> it can be a little crazy. Like it can make your skin tone super red, but it's just really unique. And it's and it really it sometimes gives you the most beautiful tones. So I love playing with that too, especially if I'm feeling like I love an image, but something about it just isn't like kind of, this is going to sound corny, but like speaking to my soul, right? Like it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't make you sure, like yeah. feel that extra thing. I'll put it in RNI flashback and see if I can get that. Yeah. It also feels like a good way to explore different takes on an image when you're not necessarily like certain which direction you want to take it in yet. It's, it's like a, a built-in endless exploration tool. And even if you don't end up using flashback itself to, to tone the image in the end, you can get something and be like, oh, wait, that actually looks kind of cool. I'll go into Lightroom or Filmborn or whatever and, and actually do that, but with more manual control. Yes. Um, so yeah, no, definitely. Uh, I'm glad to hear that, uh, that app is getting some usage because I don't like, I almost never hear about it, which is sad because it's, it's really cool. It's so yeah. good. Yeah. It's just so different too. And you're right. You can just sit there and like tap the button over and over and look at each version. It's I love it. It's so fun. Yeah. Everyone always talks about Snapseed and Visco and these, and they're, they're excellent apps, obviously, like they deserve their reputation, but uh, it, it is nice to kind of point out the, the hidden gems. I do like Snapseed, but I don't use it very often. If I do, it's for um, like, I'll up the exposure by like 0.3 in eyes or, um, right, yeah. you know, I'll like quickly dodge or burn a little section, but I don't use it um, like by itself. I use something else first. Yeah, I typically do the same thing. I, I, I'm only finding myself using it for uh, quote unquote actual editing rather yeah. than like, yeah. <laughs> you know, that, like, those finishing touch yeah. toning film preset kind of things like that's um, I wonder, have you used Darkroom by any chance? Mm-mm, I haven't. You should tell me about uh, it. Though. Yeah, it's this iPhone. It's this iPhone only app. I, I keep wishing they'd make a, um, uh, an iPad version. Actually, it's it's just one guy who makes it, but it's a really good combination of these two things. Like he has a lot of um, very good editing tools. Um, there's a you know RGB curves tool. There's um, you know everything you could want, but then there's also certain presets built in that are nice. And it's it's just a it's a very slick app. I I don't think a lot of people know about it, but it's one of those options that um, I find myself turning to when I kind of just want to do everything in one app instead of having to bounce the photo around between yeah. things. Because especially on iOS, you know, file management is not yeah. that yeah. great. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, whenever there's a, an app that lets me solve all of my problems in one go, even if it's not necessarily the best at individual tasks, I, I still find myself gravitating towards it. Ooh, I'm going to download it. Darkroom. Okay. Yeah, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts because it's it's worth a shot. Okay. What I like about all these apps is how they're, they've sort of become a new design playground like Twitter clients used to be, because there are just so many different approaches you can use to design a photo editing app that you you start seeing really fan apps like RNI Flashback. Mm -hmm. And also you get very precise tools, very professional tools like Filmborn or even Lightroom, of course. Mm -hmm. So there's there's a different thing for everyone. And yeah, like Mario said, maybe there's not a single app that gets everything right. But if you keep playing and keep experimenting with new things, 
you're bound to find something that you like and that fits your workflow. Yeah. So yeah, it's very, it's a very interesting time for sure. Well, yeah, and fundamentally, the the platform itself is exciting because unlike any of the cameras that we use, the iPhone is the only one where you can shoot and then edit. And yes. you're not transferring right. photos anywhere, right? That, that's it. It just you shot it, you shot it, and then you're editing it, and that's it. And then you can also share it, right? It's, a, it's just one device. Everything yeah. happens there. It's it's a wonderful thing. I love I love that. I, like anytime we go on vacation, I actually only bring my phone, and I'll shoot the whole vacation with my phone because I can do that, and I can share from our vacation if I want to, and I can edit right there, and um, it's kind of freeing too. I don't have to lug around a camera if I don't want to. Um, so we've done Disney the last couple of years, and that's, I've just taken my phone, and I've gotten great shots with it. Yeah, and I think a lot of people are going to find themselves doing that. Yeah, I don't think I could do that, but <laughs> that's that's incredible. <laughs> well, it is kind of like, you know, you do, in the back of your mind, you do think about how your shot could be slightly different if you did have your other gear. Right. And I don't know if that will ever go away, though. If you shoot with more than one thing, no matter what, even if it's right there you're going to know that it would have looked a little bit different in different ways with the other camera. Right. Actually, I, I think once I, I make the decision to go on the trip, I don't think about what I left behind. For me, the problem is actually making the choice before leaving. Oh, like, I, no. I can never justify just leaving the camera behind. Yeah. But if, if I ever did, I, I don't think I would miss it that much, to be honest. But, so my big point of curiosity here is what Alvaro is going to be like once he has his hands on an X100. Of some yeah. flavor. Right. We've been talking about the X100F, and um, Aaron, I assume that you're familiar with it. We have a 100T. We ha- that's oh, I love what, that camera. Yeah. That's what we got when our first daughter was born because we just wanted something quick and light to take really great shots of her. And I do love it. It's a great little camera, and it really produces some beautiful images from this you know, tiny little fixed lens body. I can sense a butt coming. You can sense what? A butt? No, I really I love it. I just... Um, <laughs> I just felt like, I don't know, there's something about the X-T1, just more control right. and decision-making for me. I, I prefer it. Yeah, and that's fair. Are you at all tempted by the new generation, like the X-T2 or the X-Pro2? Of course. Of course I am. <laughs> but I also, like, sometimes I don't even really, like, I'll, I'll look and then I won't. Because I feel like <laughs> if I keep looking at this stuff, I'm just going to get it all. And go down that rabbit hole of gear. Yeah, you know. yeah, it happens. It's so it's so hard. It can be a very slippery slope. I know. And then you know it. And and I, I don't know. I try really hard to never let it be about the gear, while admitting that different gear makes different differences in your image. Really, yeah. don't right. want it to be about the stuff I have, but it is a little. Yeah. Well, I think I think the best way to look at it is, uh, you know, the gear kind of expands your shooting envelope. There are certain things yes. that you just can't shoot with an iPhone. And it's yes. not because the iPhone is not capable as a photographic tool. It's just because its limitations prevent certain kinds of things. And it works vice versa, too. You know, yes. your, your X-T1 versus the iPhone. So it's, you know, as long as you are able to get the images that you want, then you've got the kit that you need. Right. And that's the yeah. I think that the, the people who buy new cameras to broaden that shooting envelope because there are shots that they wish they could be getting that they can't with their current setup, that's fine, right? That's healthy. That's okay. It's the folks who are just sort of upgrading for the sake of it that, uh, uh, you know, that that's maybe not as healthy. And I'm as guilty as anyone of doing that. So it's not like I'm, <laughs> you know, coming at this from an innocent <laughs> perspective, but, you know, it, it that is sort of the, the mentality that we try to inspire in others because, that's ultimately the the one that keeps you focused on the images rather than the stuff that it's coming yeah. out of. So, Well, I think that's true, too. I think, you know, when you're a photographer and you know the kind of shot you can get with different things, that's one thing. But then I think there's also just this need to have all the new stuff and, and it will just automatically give you a great shot. And, um, you know, you guys know that that's not the truth. So Yeah, if only, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, if right. only. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need it, guys. We don't need it. We're good. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, I guess I should return the like accuse I bought then, huh? No. <laughs> I mean, you could send it over here. Yeah, just send the Leica here if you get tired of it. It's fine. I will, I will happily accept it. It's fine. Yeah, one one showed up on the uh, on on Craigslist today. I was like, no, no, close the tab, close the tab. Close <gasps> <it."> <laughs> oh no! 
Oh, did you close the tab? <laughs> yeah, no, I got rid of it. No, I, I can't. I can't. Oh. No, no. Temptation would be too much. No, it's. I would love to bad. shoot with a Leica. I really would. I'm jealous. Have you ever played with one in a store or Mm-mm. something like that? No. no. Oh boy, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I'd, like I, I tried all of them at Photokina, like the SL, the M, the Monochrome, and the Q. Yes. And now everything else in my life feels entirely inadequate by comparison. <laughs> Colors just aren't as vibrant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I live in a sad world ever since. Shadows are a little darker. It's just <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's really something else. I mean, I oh. haven't I haven't ever tried a camera that compares, you really? know, oh, build quality wise. It's incredible. Then shooting with it, the experience is, of course, a lot different than I'm used to. Yeah. And it would take some some getting used to. There's a learning curve there. Uh, it's an acceptable learning curve, though. You'd be fine. <laughs> you could do it. It is, yeah. <laughs> but I don't think I don't think I I would be entirely happy with it as my only camera. So I, I'm not looking at it as a replacement for yeah. the kit that I already own. Yeah. It wouldn't, like Mario said, it wouldn't expand my shooting envelope. In if anything, it would reduce it. Mm. So I'm not I'm not tempted in that way. I'm just tempted because design-wise, it's an iconic camera, yeah. and I would love to own one because of the historic relevance of it. And I probably would buy a film like if I could, like an oh. M3 or something like that, before I ever bought. A, new, a modern digital one. Yeah, I was going to say, I think for, for you, I wouldn't be surprised if one day you just told us that you'd picked up an M6 or something secondhand. And, and that yeah, would... and those are not expensive at all. Yeah, that's just it. And you already shoot film, you're familiar with that. So I, I feel like that would be a, a durable and very satisfying thing that would clearly not be like something that would replace or augment your professional kit. Just, like that yeah. would really be a purely personal photography. I want to enjoy this kind of thing. Yeah. Oh my gosh, if I saw you do that, I might f- just do it too. <laughs> I would get so jealous. I'm oh. going to hold you to that, by the way. So <laughs> okay. Be careful what you... Oh, no. you're, you're, you're on the record now. Yeah, I this know. is on air, so this is... <laughs> I was just saying yesterday to Ben, I was like, you know, I haven't shot film in so long. I really want to just pick up a roll and shoot one. And now we're talking about the Leica. It's just, oh. <laughs> You're like, hey, Ben, I know what I want for Christmas. Where do you have your film developed, by the way? Um, we had, I had it developed at a little place. We moved and it was by our old house. So I don't know. I would probably send it out. There are a few labs that people love and I would just kind of probably research into that. Where do you? Yeah, I asked because uh, at least in Spain, the, there are these very professional labs that are specialized in film scanning and printing and developing and everything. And they're, they've been popping up like everywhere. Yeah, they're really popular. I know that the Find Lab is really popular here. <clears throat> like the yeah. film is not dead one. <clears throat> and from what I've seen of their, you know, work, it's it looks great. So um, I don't know. I need to shoot a roll and find a place and send it out and I'll get back to you because I've been missing the film in my life. Yeah, developing the film is, at least black and white film, is easy enough that you can do yeah. it at home yourself. Yeah, yeah. And, and I've done it before. Uh, and scanning, I used to scan my, my own film, and I still do, because uh, the few times that I've uh, tried to have my roles de- scanned at a professional lab, I wasn't very happy with the result. Not yeah. because the scanner itself isn't good, because they are incredible. They, they're like $30,000 Fujifilm Frontier scan- scanners, which are just incredible wow, yeah. but the problem is that they only give you jpegs of your images mm-hmm. and usually you need to further uh, edit them and that's where the whole thing kind of breaks down for me do they not give you tiff files they do but they charge a ridiculous amount for it and you cannot tell them to let's say uh, scan the entire roll in jpeg and then just pick three or four and have those four uh, done in as a tiff file oh it's like all if you nothing? could do that yeah because you have to see the, the scans before you you yeah, pick that's, that's which lame. pictures you want to yeah uh, at least on the la- with the labs that I've worked with in the past uh, I'm sure there are some out there that will do that for you that's the main caveat with film it's just expensive I mean it, you yeah. you're buying the film you're paying to have it processed you're paying for the scans it's so beautiful but and it, you know you you don't have as much freedom you have to shoot with such intention which is really awesome but it's it's a much more expensive endeavor overall but i kind of cherish those images a little more for that reason yeah oh man i'm gonna go buy a roll of film today thanks a lot guys (laughs) happy to help 
you know, in a way, it's not too dissimilar to shooting with your phone. I mean, you you just have to be aware of certain limitations and you have to work your way around them. And in that way, it's creatively, it's very satisfying, at least for me. So, yeah, that's why I, that's why I do it. I think it is too. I think everyone should you know shoot a roll or two of film anyone who loves photography should yeah as a learning tool i think it's fantastic yeah i mean because you can get a really good film camera for next to nothing so you're you're shooting right there you don't need to invest a whole lot of money up front and if you if you're trying to learn that's a very cost effective way of approaching it that's true so yeah you pay for the film but you're you you only need to spend like a hundred bucks. Yeah. Maybe in the end it's all the same. <laughs> yeah. The price just happens slower. Yeah, it'll take you a while to make up for the cost of a yeah. modern digital camera in You can in do it scans. though. Definitely. It's, you can definitely do it. It's, oh, it's yeah. not hard. Yeah. <laughs> what I find interesting is the uh, the delayed gratification aspect of it, right? Because we're totally not used to that these days. Like I, I know I take a shot and I can't see it for right. weeks. Are you crazy? Like <laughs> it's uh it's a very different kind of thing. Boy. If you want delayed gratification, I have something for you. Oh, no. Remember relaunch? Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> These guys again. Why do we keep talking about them? Just leave them alone. Um, no, but the, the reason I mentioned delayed gratification is because right now what we're seeing is the sort of resurgence of instant film technology. And mm-hmm. to me, that's like a really fascinating part of the industry right now because it's fun. Like it's, it's, it's kind of combining some of the tactility and old school nature of shooting film but it's also modernizing it in the sense that there is, um, you know, you can send things to it from your phone and you can do whatever. And it's, I don't know, like, Aaron, have you played with any of the um, the instant film cameras that are available nowadays? No, I've been seeing some of my friends playing around with them and they look super fun, but I haven't had the chance yet. Have you guys? Well, I have the, um, the Instax SP2 printer. Um, I've not actually used the Instax cameras themselves, but this little printer has been one of the surprise um, winners in my acquisitions from last year in the sense that um, it, it's like the most amazing thing at social gatherings to just be able to um, share photos with people, but like hand them a print, right? Like we're, That's we, so we go cool. to this, uh, we go <laughs> yeah. to this chalet every winter, um, with Shannon's family and, you know, we, we go out and we're snowshoeing all day and, you know, I'm taking photos of people on my iPhone and then we get back to the chalet and over dinner, I'm able to just beam those photos to the printer and, and hand them to people. And there's that whole experience of watching them develop in your hand and of be, like it just of course there's that whole other dimension when you put it into print even though they're not you know large high resolution prints these are you know pocket sized things um, but the the way people react to them is just unbelievable I I made someone cry uh, it's just it's like it's bizarre <laughs> it's it's actually kind of bizarre right because you show them on the phone and it's like oh yeah nice shot and then you hand them the same image but it's printed on this little film and it's like they cry. oh my god I can keep this with and it's like whatever reasoning goes into that, the, the different reactions, it just makes it totally worth it, I think, for, for every photographer to own one of these because it just tr- it changes that that interpersonal transaction entirely. Um, and I, I've heard it's also great for street photography. Well, it's like a tangible gift. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, well, and I think, you know, we don't print our stuff like we should and you think you always will, but you never do and it's just on your screen and it's special to have a print that you can put in your home, you know? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I can see I can see a few tears. I think that's cool. Yeah, I think our, our brains are just hardwired to make that emotional connection with things you can touch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and while you can technically touch a, a picture on a phone, it's not the same thing. Yeah. yeah. There's also an element of patience, I think, because I one of the things that I've been doing photographically as a sort of resolution in, over the past year or so is actually to to print more of my work. I mean, I've, I've got a photo printer that's been sitting at my mom's place for a while, so I brought it here, and uh, I've just been printing. Like, it does up to 13 by 19, which is plenty big enough for me. Yeah. Um, but even just 8.5 by 11, um, you know, I've just been selecting random shots from, you know, daily stuff and, and printing them. And what I notice is that when people look at the printed version of the photo, it's less distracting. You know, the fact that it's not on a device, it almost... It's not backlit. Yeah, yeah, there's just something about the way that they interpret it too. Like they're noticing more details. They're they're engaging with the content of the photo in a different way. And to me, that's amazing because it means that a, a photo that on a screen might be, uh, you know, it might be dismissed as uninteresting or something like that, or, or uh, details might be lost. 
you know, you hand them the print and suddenly it's like, oh, I noticed that, you know, that detail there and those things there that, you know, I didn't think people would pick up on, but there it is. And in print, it, it shows up. And I, I just think that that's really cool. And then, of course, that's its own rabbit hole of like, what paper do you use and what printer? And uh, like, I know, it is. Just, right. We have, one, oh. we, have a, we have a Canon, a really large Canon uh, photo printer. And it had the same thing. It's been sitting here unused, but I'm in a, a portrait project this year. It's one of those, you know, P52, take a photo every week. Yeah. But it's a self-portraiture project, which is very difficult for me. I think a lot of us like being behind the camera and not necessarily yeah. the <laughs> subject, right? So, and and it's been a big push also. It's a group of moms to get photos with our kids because a lot of us don't have a lot of photos with our kids because we're the ones taking the photos at right, all of yeah. the family gatherings. And I've been printing them. I've been remembering to actually go into the room with the printer and print these memories and display them in our home. And my girls love it. They love right. seeing, and they can, they know how to use all the devices probably better than we do. And they can look at them all day long. You know, we'll have slideshows of images on our, our TVs that just kind of cycle through during the day. But there's something sure, yeah. special about seeing that framed picture of mommy and them that they just connect with. Yeah, that's fantastic. And it, they're so little, it's innate, you know, you do, you just connect differently when you can hold it. Yeah. Definitely. And you can always print little hearts on the margin so that people can hit like. Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> if that doesn't work, nothing will. set a pen right next to it and just tell people yeah. they can draw a heart. <laughs> it's perfect. Oh, I love that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know, that is hard, though, I think, with sharing and posting. I think we all, you know, you have an image that you love sometimes and you share it and other people don't love it. And maybe you would have never questioned it before, but then you do and... That's a whole different bag of yeah. problems. Yeah, social media is not good for... <laughs> for the soul. Any sort of insecurity. Yeah. It just breeds it. Yeah, it's just... Uh, uh, just have to share what you love and ignore the, the hearts. Yeah, pretty much. It's kind of sad, you know, like the whole Visco, when they had their, their feed thing, that was the whole point, right? There was no reaction, no anything. So it was it was a neutral space. But of course, it didn't take off because there's no validation, right? It's this double-edged thing where you, you want that recognition, you want it, but... Uh, yeah. But yeah, but then you don't, you but can turn you your comments yeah. off, but then you don't want yeah. to. It's, it's, it's so hard. Yeah. I think part of the problem there is that they, they, these social media platforms, they turn photography into sort of a competitive game and that's not necessarily the best way to look at it. Well, and you, like, you know, what will get, you know, what will get the reaction too. Like we were talking earlier about the really wide open shots or, you know, tunnels or like there's so many things where you just know it's going to be Instagram gold and then you have to ask yourself well am I shooting this because I love it or because I know other people will yeah yeah and I think the, the problem here is that if the main uh, the main platforms where, where you share your images are just social media platforms like yeah. it, like Instagram yeah subconsciously you, you'd start uh, equating good with popular and Which is not those are yeah. not yeah they're not really the same thing, no. Yeah, but it becomes especially tricky in a professional context because nowadays the Instagram portfolio is the portfolio, right? Even if right. you have a portfolio website, nine times out of ten, I'm going to judge you based on your Instagram profile. Absolutely, and that, that's just it's just a matter of of convenience and practicality. And so, as a as a photographer who's trying to you know get professional work, it's like, well, if I keep my profile authentic but I'm not using any of the tricks and not following any of the trends and not doing whatever, then I only end up with a few hundred followers. When someone shows up, are they going to focus on that or are they going to focus on the images, right? And that, that's always this risky, uncomfortable feeling. Whereas if you give into some of the trends, you get to, you know, several thousand followers, then you look like a more successful Instagram profile. But if your images are tending to look like just another you know, trend follower, then is that really an authentic representation of your work and your value as an individual photographer? Like, well, and then when you shoot, are you going to feel good about it if you're just replicating that trend rather than what you love, exactly. you know? Yeah. So I think that's a very sort of tricky area that we have to navigate now. And it, it's a problem that did not used to exist at all. And frankly, yeah. I don't know what the solution is, um, but it's, it's interesting yeah, to think about. It really, it's like, it could be its own like multi-episode 
<laughs> unpacking <laughs> show, just talking about the effect of social media on all this. Seriously, yeah. I mean, we we keep circling back to this kind of thing. It's it's a struggle to to understand it because we fundamentally, I think, we appreciate what social media has done again for democratizing photography and for for bringing it to other people and making it easier to share our work with others. Yeah. Well, and connecting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on the bright side. It, if we do find the answer, we can just sell it to Mark Zuckerberg for like a bazillion dollars and we'll be on our way. Yeah. That's the current plan. So work on that for a little bit. <laughs> That's the candid funding strategy. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so start brainstorming. <laughs> Those yachts are not going to buy themselves, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh. How are we doing for time? Are you okay or do you have to get back to your Sunday? Oh, I'm good. My husband took my girls for a walk in the... We have a little forest right by. So they're like, we're going to the woods, mama. I'm like, okay. Nice. <laughs> and then part of me is like, oh, I hope dad takes some pictures. Like, it's always about the pictures, guys. Um, <laughs> but no, I, yeah, I know. Well, there is that balance too, right? Of like, okay, I'm going to take the shot and then I'm going to put the camera away because I'm present while I'm shooting, but I also want to be present without the, right. the lens. Do you ever feel that way though? Like, like photography distracts you from experiencing what's around you? No. I know a lot of people do and there's this whole like, oh, you need to live the moment and and I and I, I think I'm like a weird person because I actually had postpartum depression after I had my second baby and that was a way I connected with my kids was through the lens because you know, that's a main thing of postpartum depression is you you feel kind of disconnected from your kids, from the world, from reality, whatever. And so like it would force me to really focus on them and their interactions and the entire scene. And I actually connected more at that time. Um, so no, I don't ever feel, I almost feel like I'm more in the moment when I'm shooting because I've, I'm trying so hard to pay attention to every single part of my image. Right. And I think I notice things I might not have otherwise. And it's not like I turn my ears off. I'm still listening. <laughs> right. I had my um, grandpa's 80th birthday party last night and I took a lot of photos during the speeches. And I was, I think, probably more present because when you listen to people drone on, your mind kind of wanders. But I was listening. I was watching. I was looking for those moments. So for me personally, I do not feel like the lens ever inhibits my connection to the situation. Well, you're going to have to teach me how that's done because I'm terrible at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's just how your mind works, right? If you're if you're yeah. really just focusing on your yourself talking to yourself about the image, then I think you miss yeah. some of what's going on. Yeah, and especially when I'm away like on vacation or anything or something like that. It's sometimes I get to to into the photography part of the trip and I tend to disappear. So for the people who are with me, it's not the the most fun of experiences and I have to sort of dial back a little bit. But yeah, that's that's a bit rude and I'm trying to get better at it. Yeah. I think that's interesting too because I did a um a really cool project, a little documentary about like Instagram and a new community and, and it was last I don't know, a year and a half ago. But when I met up with the guys who were doing it, they kept taking all these little jaunts to do these photos in these places that people love to take photos. And I think that's also where I'm a little bit different because because I focus so much on portraiture, I am less about going and finding the place and more about just the place is here and I'm going to shoot right here. So I don't, right. I'm not leaving the the situation to go get that amazing, gorgeous, you know, mountain landscape. Um, if that pulled at me a little bit more, I would definitely have problems with like disappearing <laughs> a little bit right? because, you know, when you have that drive to get that shot, it's, you have to go do it. So I can understand being pulled away that way. Um, I just really love trying to capture beauty in what's right in front of me, especially with my kids. So luckily I don't have to like leave. <laughs> <laughs> you can just do it right here. Right. That's spontaneous opportunity. That's always a very, very uh, interesting aspect to explore. But then yes. if you're trying to capture uh, sunrise, for example, then you have to wake up super you early. You probably have to drive to uh, some sort of vantage point so you can get the, the sun nice and early. So there are some compromises that you have to plan for. Yeah, And it's so worth it. It's so worth it. And it's beautiful. And it's I kind of wish I was more like that too, because, you know, people want me to do sessions for them. And because I'm a spontaneous shooter, 
it's really hard to like, okay, well, I don't know what the light's going to be like. I don't know if I'm going to find those moments. So then I sort of sort of have to think like a person who plans for the light and, and time and location and all of that. And I'm working on that. I'm not as good about that. Have you experienced with uh, artificial lighting? You know, I don't really love, I'm not good at using a flash. I'm not, I think I just need to spend some more time with it. I'm not against it. Right. I'm just, I haven't liked the outcome in my limited trials with any kind of flash, but um, people do it beautifully. I know it can be done. Right, but I think that's a very common uh, feeling to, towards flash like in, in general, that people are sort of skeptical. And, and it, yeah, it takes some getting used to, definitely, and there's a learning curve there. It can be done right, though. It can be done right. Yeah, it frees yes. you from having to depend on the lighting to be perfect. So you can just create your own light, and that's very empowering. And that and and it unlocks so much potential for your images. Yeah. So I, I do think it's worth uh, try, just putting in the effort to sort of learn how everything works. But it's not easy, admittedly, and I'm also uh, not very good at it at all. The problem is that the the learning curve is very heavily weighted. Like it's more difficult to start. Yeah. Um, and then it's it's easier to add techniques once you get the basics down. But just getting to that that the sort of the fundamental understanding po uh, point is like more of a struggle than people are often comfortable with. Yeah. Um, yeah. Our, our Josh actually just went through this because he was asking for recommendations on, on a flash setup and he wanted to sort of dig his heels in and just, just understand it once and for all. He just, you know, was frustrated with this, uh, you know, I'm only a natural light photographer. So he's done that now and he's, he's been very happy with the uh, results he's been getting. And, you know, there, oh, there really? is always okay. a lot of trial and error and stuff like that, but, uh, Ultimately, the ability to bend the light to your will, I think, is is worth. That's powerful. Uh, is worth yeah. the effort. Yeah, yeah, especially in a professional context, right? Because, like you were saying, sometimes you get asked to do something and you don't know what is going to happen yeah. at the venue, right? You don't know what it's like. You don't know what sort of lighting they have. If you know, so then being able to go in and just say it doesn't matter because I make my own light and Ooh. I make it do whatever I want. Like that's, you know, that that frees you up to uh, to say yes to some projects that otherwise might have made you uneasy and things like that. Oh man, now I have a list of things, guys. <laughs> We're really bad. This is why no guests ever come back for a second show. <laughs> I need to download Darkroom. I need to get some film. <laughs> I need to work on Flash. I love it. I always think it's good to, you know, like try to learn a new technique. I recently started trying to freelance for that same reason, like, You know, when you do certain things for a while, you just want to like pick a new thing to try to master. And so I think Flash will be on the list eventually. We have to push ourselves to, you know, exceed. Yeah, learning is part of the fun. It's a big part of it, actually. I agree. I think I think it's I think it's why photographers get along with each other. We all just want to learn forever. Yeah. yeah. And it's a great thing to learn about forever because you never know everything about photography. <laughs>